Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian, a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're utterly excited to chat with Molly Cox Bryan about Christmas Cowbells, the first installment of the Buttermilk Creek Mystery Series. Welcome to the podcast, Molly. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're extremely glad to have you. This is an, an incredibly cozy and Christmassy book, and it's the perfect reading material for this time of the year. So we're really excited to dig in and discuss your book with you today. But first, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this week. Julian, would you like to kick it off? What's making you feel cozy this week? Sure thing. So mine, I feel as per usual, it's fairly random. I was on YouTube and I got this recommendation for this uh, cooking video called Soufflé Pancake with One Egg by Thai Than. It has 6 million views. So I was, my interest peaked. So I... <laughs> 6 million I, people like it. It can't be wrong. Well, also I was like, oh, one egg. That's curious. So... <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Just one. And for fans of ASMR, you know, or th- those cozy sounds, this is the perfect thing. It doesn't have any background music. The chef isn't talking. So it's just very soothing sounds of whisking and folding in the meringue and frying. It's just pure delight. And it's the souffle pancake is so light and beautiful. I want to be that souffle pancake. I don't know how to describe it, but <laughs> you don't want to eat it. You want to be it. <laughs> it just, it's just so fluffy and light and beautiful. And they have directions as the video plays and they're very accessible directions where I think that I could possibly try it. And it's, I think one of the most beautiful parts of the video is when <laughs> they're mixing the lemon with the egg whites and whisking it to make that thick consistency. It's just, it's delightful in every sense of the word. And the comments are, <laughs> everyone loves it as much as I do. So uh, then the, the person who made the video sells merch. <laughs> so maybe I'll get a pancake tea <laughs> or a pancake hoodie. If the first comment on the video is, let's be honest, you didn't search for it. It was divine intervention. And the video found you. Which is, it really did find me. So I'll share it in the Facebook group. It's, it's yeah, like, it lovely. It is really like an ASMR cooking video. Mm-hmm. It really is there to just to like have you enjoy cooking sounds. And it is yeah. very pleasing looking, the food itself. What, what an interesting find. It's like a whole new, there's always some new internet video genre <laughs> to uncover. Yeah. Six million views. That one souffle pancake has more fans than <laughs> we do. Oh, absolutely. Well, obviously. As, no it, as it well deserves. I mean, I, I'm not <laughs> jealous. Like it, it deserves it more than it we do. It deserves sure. it. It's a star. Molly, how about you? What's making you feel cozy? You know, since the pandemic, I've um, started burning candles and I've really gotten into uh, different scents and in the morning, you know, I, I work, I, I'm still working, but I'm working from home. Um, so in the morning I, I sit and light a candle at my desk and, um, just really, you know, enjoy the scent and the flame. And it really, uh, it really feels cozy and, you know, it gives me something to hold on to through the crazy day. Um, and I'm also enjoying a lot of different tea, Um, and I love sitting by my fireplace. Um, the other thing I've been doing is, um, watching as many Hallmark movies as I can, (laughs) especially the Christmas ones. Um, that, that all makes me feel very cozy. And as we talked a little bit 
earlier um, about the online advent calendar. That's been really a lot of uh, fun and makes me feel very cozy. I like the idea of lighting a candle in the morning when you're going to you know, start your day with work because usually I reserve lighting candles for the evening, but why not light it during the day? Life short, light your candle. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's one thing this, this whole pandemic has done for me. It's like, why am I waiting to do these things? You know, um, once we can all go out and do what we want, it's just going to be so freeing. And I think we're all going to look at, at things like lighting candles and, you know, going shopping a lot differently. YOLO extends to scented candles, and I'm with you. I've been burning through so many candles because, uh, Julian, I'm also going and starting to burn them during the day. <laughs> and we usually have like a stockpile because we review candles on the show, and oftentimes they're kind of like a, you know, a quarter burnt and we, there's a ton of wax left. And I'm already like out of my supply because there's a, a scented candle on in here 24-7, so... Yeah, that sounds incredibly cozy, and really, you're in the right place, Molly. (laughs) Between scented candles and and Hallmark movies, we're right there with you. Oh, great. (laughs) I feel so welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you mentioned, what's making me feel cozy is the Jackie Lawson 2020 Nordic Advent Calendar, which, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of before my principal at the school that I I teach at mentioned it to me because she knows I have this podcast (laughs) and she was like, you like cozy stuff. Have you ever heard of this? I hadn't. And so I tried it. I, I downloaded the, um, the, the mobile version. So there's a version it's on the desktop. Um, and actually you can buy it as a gift for other people. So like the more you buy, the cheaper it is and you can send it to all of your friends and family, but it's also on the app store for four 99 and what it is, is this really beautiful digital advent calendar. It's kind of like when you go into the app, the first thing you see is this really pretty animated Nordic village. And there are different clickables every day of December until Christmas Day. And a lots of like hidden games and puzzles. I just spent 15 minutes this morning kind of in a blissful, like calm state, doing a gnome puzzle and <laughs> decorating a digital Christmas tree. And it's really calming. I, I'm I'm a little bit mad that I haven't heard of this before. And everyone else, even Molly's like, oh, yeah, the, the Jackie Lawson Nordic Evan calendar. I'm like, no one told me about this. But I'm glad I finally found it. And I know that this episode won't be out until December 20th. But you can either binge the one <laughs> from this December and just go all all out. Although I do kind of like the little, you know, a little bit here and there it kind of goes a long way for me. But now you know about it. I didn't know about it. Now you do. I highly recommend it. It really is like worth the purchase. It's such a little like, it's almost like a meditation. You just kind of like, you go in there every day. There's a new, really cute and beautiful animated video. And then there's a puzzle or a game to do. And uh, it's just really cute and very cozy. Yeah, I love that because it's a perfect advent calendar for procrastinators who didn't get the actual physical ones. So I will be checking that out. I mean, this has been going on for 11 years. This is how long everyone's been keeping this from me. I was still on my chocolate advent calendar, <laughs> like a caveman. Well, now they really branched out with the advent calendars. There's advent calendars for animals. There's booze advent calendars. Oh, yeah. I, I, every time I go to the supermarket, I eye the wine advent calendar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking my language. It's too expensive for my blood, but I still like, I'm like, maybe one day someone will get that for me. <laughs> Molly, we can't wait to talk to you about your book, Christmas Cowbells. Let's dive into that. 
Christmas Cowbells is the first novel in the Buttermilk Creek mystery series and introduces us to micro-dairy farmer Bryn McAllister, who lives in Shenandoah Springs with her Red Devon cows, Petunia, Buttercup, and Marigold. Freshly out of a big breakup, Bryn throws herself into her dream of being a cheesemaker and into her new community, joining the community-supported agricultural program and even volunteering one of her cows for the town's living nativity. But soon, Bryn's Christmas spirit is dampened when her neighbor Nancy dies in a mysterious fire that may be a result of her plan to renovate the old Glebe church. Bryn then finds herself in the crosshairs as fires are started on her property, trash is thrown on her lawn, and other troubling signs. Is it a local fearing Bryn to will change her historic farmhouse, or a neighbor furious at the bellowing of Petunia who is mourning the loss of her calf? When local police refuse to take her concerns seriously, Bryn decides to take matters into her own hands to protect herself and her cows. And so first and foremost, I really want to talk about these cows <laughs> because I absolutely love them. They're written with so much love and care, and that's particularly shown by the depth of Petunia mourning when she loses her calf. And I would love to hear about your process for bringing those cows to life with such vivid and unique personalities. Well, I um, have known a few cows you know, <laughs> in my life, and um, especially when I was uh, growing up. I grew up in a very rural area in western Pennsylvania, um, outside of Pittsburgh. And I didn't grow up on a farm, but farms were all around me. And every year we had fairs. Um, and I would get to know the, the calves at the fairs, you know, and you would, you could pet them and they would, you know, suck on your hand. They would pull your whole mm -hmm. hand into their mouths. And, you know, growing up like that, you hear stories about cows. And, um, of course, many of them would, you know, were, would not be milk cows. They would be beef cows. And you hear about how the kids would get, um, attached to animals and, and, and that would cause problems. And so I knew several people who, were um, sort of making pets out of their cows and of um, sheep and, and animals that you weren't supposed to. And I ended up growing up to um, be a vegetarian, although I, I didn't become a vegetarian because I, I love cows so much, but it sort of, it sort of fits in. Um, and so, you know, I really just love animals. And, um, and I know that cows have personalities and um, they can be very charming uh, not all cows, of course, but um, cows that are raised not in the in the factory farms and and that sort of thing. They're de they definitely have personality. I mean, you can do an internet search and see you know cows dancing and cows running up to people that they've you know missed and and things like that. So that certainly went into my process of creating these cows. I had more cows at one point. And then I talked to a local dairy farmer. I went to a cheesemaking class at, at her, her farm, and, and I said, you know, I just have one woman um, who's going to be taking care of these cows. And I think I had five cows then. And she's like, oh, my gosh, one cow would, would be enough. You know, if you have more than that, you know, you're going to have to switch it up somehow. Bryn, her other, she only has one cow in milking at a time. Um, and she is, you know, building up the, um, building up the nutrients in the, in the other cows, you know, as she's, as she's milking, the one cow is in milking. 
So that's, that's pretty much, you know, how I came up with the cows. And, uh, I, you know, it's funny, people love those cows. <laughs> and I mean, that's what I would get the most questions about, you know, and I, I think it's really unique in the cozy mystery, uh, world. We have a lot of dogs and cats and birds. Um, but I don't think there's many cows out there that, um, are being written about. Yeah, it's definitely unique, and it's just such a sweet relationship how attached these cows are to Bryn. And it's it's true to life. My uh, sister-in-law has a ranch in Texas, and there's a um, a cattle farmer on, like, a, an adjacent property, but, of course, the cows are everywhere. So, like, they'll yeah. just come up to the fence, and they just want to – you have to be a little wary, and you're not quite sure all the time because, you know, you don't know every cow <laughs> and what they're going to do, but – they're very friendly and they actually ended up getting a calf of their own that, and it's like, it just like hangs out with the kids. It's like a dog almost. It's really, they really do have such loving personalities. They get very attached to people. Yeah. And the, and the, they're very motherly, you know, with their, with their calves, um, you know, they're very attached to their calves. And, and it is true that when they, when they lose calves, um, they often go through a mourning period. Well, I've noticed that cows have really gentle and soulful eyes. Yes. Yeah. And so if you mentioned how cows aren't really, are rarely seen in cozy mysteries, which is an excellent point. And it brings me to my next question, which is that I, the cozy mystery is so different in the sense that there's not a prominent love interest in Bryn's life, which personally I, I enjoyed. And the book more focuses on the bonds of female friendship instead. And how do you think that enriches the work with female empowerment as opposed to having that central love interest? I think, you know, it depends on the character, right? I mean, Bryn is just getting out of a pretty um, bad breakup. And and so Mm -hmm. she is not interested in um, in developing a relationship with a man at all at this point. I, I know women like that. I've been a woman like that. You know, I take great um, strength and comfort in my female friends, you know, um, and there's, there's a lot of empowerment in that. Um, and I think that, you know, that maybe there are a lot of women out there that relate to that. Um, at least I hope so. Yeah. I, I do like some, a little romance here and there, but I just didn't think it was, uh, right for Bryn right now. And I do think there are a lot of cozy mystery, um, characters, female characters out there that are very strong, um, whether they have a love interest or not. Um, I think that's part of, uh, the attraction to the cozy mysteries is because most of the amateur sleuths out there are women. So I, I think that that's a big attraction. Yeah. I, I liked how all the female characters pitched in and, and helped each other in a multitude of ways. And I, I think that this book was wonderful in the sense that it didn't fall into areas of predictability because each time a um, a male character would come in, well, particularly the, the sheriff or I, I always thought, okay, is there going to be some romance here and never went, went that way. And I think your book had a lot of surprises and that was just one of them. Well, great. I'm glad to know that. Thank you. Yeah. And it makes sense as Bryn's starting to just join this community and really get her bearings and figure out the lay of the land. And it's nice as a reader new to a series to kind of experience that with the protagonist because we're learning the community as she is right and we're taking it all in and figuring out you know 
who are our friends, who, who might we need to stay away from? (laughs) And that's all in the backdrop of, of Christmas, right? This is a, this book is set in during Christmas time. Bryn herself is actually struggling to get into the Christmas spirit, which makes sense given all the troubling stuff happening around her. It's kind of hard to feel Christmassy when your neighbor's property is being set on fire. She passes away. Like, and I really loved how she very kind of real, realistically dealt with all that stuff while also trying to power through the Christmas season. I'm curious to hear, when did you know you wanted Christmas to be a part of your story? And did you ever find it to be a challenge to incorporate Christmas in a murder mystery story um, as much as Bryn found it sometimes to celebrate? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I was probably, I think I was writing that book in, in the summer, um, and so, um, it was, it was kind of hard to get into the Christmas spirit. I did look at a lot of videos and listen to Christmas music and, and, and did things like that. Um, I, uh, thought it would be really, actually it was my editor's idea, if I remember correctly, for, to set it at Christmas. And I agreed because I thought, um, it would be a really strong book out of the gate you know, people love, uh, Christmas cozy mysteries, but I didn't want it to be, you know, over the top sweet and, and, and that kind of thing. I wanted it to have some heft to it and like what, what, and really speak to how it would be to be, you know, getting over a relationship, start, uh, start a new business and try and, and this horrible thing happening with your neighbor and your cows and, you know, to try to keep that spirit to something, uh, you know, like Christmas, which is very important to us as a culture and, and to Bryn as a person, you know, it was like a, a, a thread of almost normalcy and all this craziness that was going on around her. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed that Christmas enhances the book. It's not it's not the main focus. Right. And it also brings a, a realistic sense of Christmas with Bryn, you know, trying to make all of the gifts for her neighbors, um, having the cow and the nativity scene. And that's very true to life. Sometimes Christmas is more stressful than it is a celebration. So I, I found that pretty, pretty relatable. Oh, good. Yeah. And it feels very relevant to today because I, I think a lot of people, myself included, on some days, some days are better than others, but it can be hard with a lot of, you know, really concerning and stressful world events happening or, you know, personal events to get into that Christmas spirit. And so I really identify with Bryn in this book um, as she sort of was really trying to get herself in the spirit, but was real about it. She really was like, you know, feeling everything about her breakup and dealing with this really troubling stuff around the community, maybe not wanting her to be a part of it. And, and working through those feelings. So I, I really enjoyed that, that kind of realistic depiction of, of, like Jillian said, what Christmas can feel like. And sometimes it can be more stress than joy, but it, it really did enhance the overall flavor of the book for sure. Good. I'm glad to know that. And one of the gifts, Christmas gifts, like Bryn gives her neighbors is the cheese ball. So that made me really want a cheese ball. I don't know if I ever had a, a cheese ball, but it sounds wonderful. Oh, wow. You need a cheese ball. Yeah, I need one. I was wondering on the topic of cheese, you share the same profession as Bryn working as a micro dairy farmer and artisanal cheese maker. And you also stated in an interview with Drew's book musings 
that your idea of a perfect evening is a wine and cheese night with friends, which I found interesting because sometimes the things that we work with during the day is not something we want to enjoy outside of work. So what makes cheese so cozy and inviting to you personally? I, I love cheese and I love, um, you know, the cheese and wine together. And I don't know, it's just very comforting. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I did go and take a, you know, I took a cheese class and I will probably never be a cheese maker. Um, but I, um, I appreciate it. And it's, it's like this, it's almost like, you know, I, I know it sounds kind of strange, but like, you know, cheese has been made for hundreds of years and it's like, it's like one of those things that, you know, it's like a link to the past mm-hmm. and um, a link to maybe even a different time of, of life, time, time of living. Like, you know, hearkening back to when we were closer to our rural roots and uh, farm life. Um, I think that's all a part of it for me. Um, I know I certainly miss, uh, and, and now we do have, you know, farmer's markets and, and things like that. But there was a long period of time where it was difficult to, um, you know, farmers seemed to be so far away from everything and we were so distant from our food. But I think there's, um, there's definitely a movement back toward knowing that and being closer to our our roots through food. And I think that's part of it for, for me and cheese, other than the fact that, you know, it's really good. It's good. Stuff. <laughs> well, what's your favorite cheese? Jeez, that's hard, but I like, a, um, I like a, I like a good Swiss cheese, you know, I love Swiss cheese and I also like feta. Oh, feta. That's my dark Lord. <laughs> Both great choices. I've I've recently gone back into the arms of Swiss cheese and rediscovered it as like the best sandwich cheese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I also really loved our experiences getting to know the cheese making process. Like the idea of, it's called like where she makes the cheese called the, the make. Right. You said you took a class in that, but like I just love the... All the the care and attention and, and decision making around exactly like how the milk was taken and every step of the way, like, you know, what was, was there anything surprising you learned when you were learning about cheese making that like kind of shocked you or that was exceptionally interesting? Going to the farm and going and talking to the actual like cheese makers, I think that was one of the things that was really surprising to me was the fastidiousness of their cleaning. I mean, that was just so important. That is so important uh, with cheese making. Um, you know, because you're, you're dealing with, um, with milk and, you know, you could, if you, if your temperatures aren't right and your cleanliness isn't, you know, exactly perfect, you could like mold could form and you could kill somebody. Mm. So, you know, they're very fastidious in their, uh, cheese making. And I, I'm not sure, um, I really ever stopped to consider that before. Yeah. That was one of the, it's funny you mentioned that because I, there's this one scene where, Bryn talks about uh, cleaning and making sure that everything's sanitary. And that's when I had the thought, I'm like, well, that's, that's a profession. I, that's out for me because (laughs) I I would probably be cutting corners or people would be getting sick for my cheese. Don't eat Jillian's cheese. (laughs) Well, speaking of process, I'd love to hear more about your, your writing process. Some mystery authors describe themselves as pantsers who develop the clues and motives of their mystery as they go. 
while others claim to be plotters that map it all out from the get-go. What is your approach to plotting your mysteries? Do you find yourself falling into one of those two camps, or do you have an entirely different approach? Um, I'm definitely a pantser. I've tried to be a plotter, and being a plotter just takes the magic out of it for me. Um, what that means, of course, is, you know, um, you go through and you, and you write it by the seat of your pants, but then you, your second draft is really, um, where a lot of the work comes in. The first draft is just, you know, you telling yourself a story and, um, the second draft is, uh, where you, you know, you bring in some of your analytical and editing skills and you make sure that everything makes sense. Um, sometimes I go back in and I add, um, you know, another clue or, um, another red herring, you know, something. And, and sometimes it really surprises me who the killer ends up being at the end. And I have to go back in and make sure, um, that it's just not too off the wall, that it, it, it does make sense. What you really want, um, in a mystery is you want people to be surprised, but then you want them, the next thought to be, oh yeah. Why didn't I think of that? The clues were there all along. I just didn't see them. And so um, in that second draft is where that happens for me. That's a surefire way to make sure if you're surprised as the author about the the murder or the culprit, your audience will be too, and it won't be so blatantly obvious. Because I, I could see the the trap potentially being if you plot it out too well and your clues are too clear... <laughs> Right. The reader may know right away, right? So that that is a tricky balance, but it's you definitely achieve it very well in this book. Thanks. I'm also always interested to hear about writers' routines because um, everyone has a different way of approaching their work. Whether it's they they get up at three in the morning to do their writing, or they you know just do it in like five minute intervals throughout their day. Everyone has a different process. What is your writing routine when you're going about writing your novels? Okay, so that has changed a lot over the years, and it's changed. And I think it's important to say um, that uh, every writer, like, there's no one way, you know, for, uh, like, if there's a a writer listening that wants to write cozy mysteries, you know, um, they need to find their own process, what works for them. So for me, when my kids were little, you know, they went, when they went to school, I wrote when they were at school. Um, now I have, um, you know, one of my daughters is in school in New York city. My other one is at home, but she works. I have, um, and, and, but I have to work. Like I have a nine to five job. So, um, my process has changed so that, you know, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I get my writing in every morning before I go to work. And, um, that, that's just, you, you really have to, um, that's been my process is sort of being as flexible as I can, fitting in the writing wherever I can. You know, sometimes it's at lunchtime. Like if I've left off at a point in the book that I, you know, I really feel like I need to get back to sooner than tomorrow, I will take my lunchtime and I will work on it. So that's, you know, pretty much uh, the way it's working for me right now. Uh, if I, if I, you know, hit it big with a book and I don't have to work nine to five every day, uh, I imagine it would be much different. Balancing both those things, it does take so much discipline to balance all the spheres of your life, right? Work, writing, family. Um, yeah. It's a lot. It is. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's amazing that you wake up at 4 a.m. every day and that's that's the epitome of discipline. Uh, circling back to 
farm life. It's such a notable part of the book. It's almost like it's a, it's a own character. What do you love most about living in the country? Well, I, I don't quite live in the country anymore, but I live in like a small town that's surrounded by the country. Um, the thing I love about the country is, um, the scenery and, um, feeling the seasons, you know, um, you know, with my daughter in New York, um, it's so interesting. Yes. It gets colder in the fall and the winter. Um, and you know, when it's Christmas, it gets kind of Christmassy there, but it's like, you're kind of removed from the everyday turning of the seasons. Um, and that's probably why I couldn't live someplace that didn't have the seasons. So I think that's my favorite part about living in the country. And, uh, I, you know, when I was younger, it was, uh, you know, there's a, a real sense of community there, um, where I grew up. Um, you wouldn't go anywhere without running into somebody that you knew, which was kind of comforting. Um, some people don't like that though. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. this is possible. You know, I get that. So, yeah, we you know we're here in LA, so no seasons for us. And oh, you're in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that honestly messes with how time feels because yesterday I was 24 now, <laughs> Like it feels like two, three days later, I'm 31 or right. It does feel like a time warp for <laughs> it sure. It feels like a time warp. Yeah. yeah there's no market. You have to really do the, the seasonal markers yourself, which is why I decorate for holidays more than I ever have. I mean, I was always a holiday decorator, but like I do it for everything now. I'm even starting to like dip my toes into Easter decorating, which is like, <laughs> you know, that's, is it worth it? Probably not, but it does help me know what time of the year it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially now with COVID, you know, it's real time has gotten to be very strange. Oh yeah. I was looking through your website and you have this really fun trivia section. And one of the trivia pieces was that at one point in your life, um, your family had 28 cats and can you, can you please elaborate on this cat utopia? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I everybody asked me about that. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> we want to know about the cats. We want to about the cows. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had six cats, which in the country growing up, it really wasn't that much. It was on the edge of probably being too much, but we had six cats and um, one year they all had babies um, you know, we weren't too much into, you know, taking and giving our cats spayed and neutered. It wasn't that big of a deal then, but, um, suddenly it became a big deal, you know, when we had the 28 cats, <laughs> so we ended up getting, you know, everybody spayed and neutered, not all of them. We, we gave a lot of them away to very good homes, mostly farms, um, and cats love being on, on farms and, um, and being outside and prowling around. I have two cats now, um, and they do not go outside. They, they're, they're part of the, my cozy, my cozy apartment here. It's my cats. Absolutely. Yeah. Jill, Jillian herself has two cats in her apartment as well. Um, I'm catless and I think I'm obsessed <laughs> with the cats. I mean, I, I grew up with cats, but I, my husband's allergic and so I live vicariously through other people's cats at this point. So I'm always asking about <laughs> yeah. cats. I have a best friend who's allergic and she can't come to my house, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Cause Matt is really so wonderful with cats. My cats love him. He's so gentle and yeah, he's the best 
surrogate cat dad. Well, it's devolved into this horrible situation where now I'm that guy who walks around the neighborhood with cat treats. So it's it's becoming a mental illness that I should probably see a therapist about. No, lean into it. <laughs> well, th- thank you so much for joining us and chatting about your book today. It really is such a cozy and I, I, you, you describe it in the book as like a cozy, like a mystery with an edge. And I really do love that edge because it, mm-hmm. it grounds it. And, and it's sort of, it's comforting, but it's also, it really respects the reader. And I, I really love that about your book. There's also another book in the series, Goodnight Moo, correct? Right. So that's the second book. What's next yeah. for Bryn? Um, you know, I... I wish I had good news where uh, the series is concerned, but um, the publisher canceled the series. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm hoping maybe I will be doing some um, indie, you know, sort of publishing some some Bryn stories on my own. You know, it's uh, time is, is a problem with working nine to five every day. And I have one more book that I'm working on for another publisher, um, so I, I don't, um, I really don't know what's next for Bryn. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, I can get it together enough to, um, to write more about her and, and to do some, even if they're novellas, um, I think that may be a way, I, cause there's a lot of readers, a lot of people, um, in, in my newsletter and things like that, that are wanting a third book. Um, so I'm hopeful that um, something will happen. If you're listening to this, definitely read Christmas Cowbells and go ahead and read the second book as well. And then we are going to anxiously await the the short stories (laughs) or whatever you create for Bryn, because we really love that world that you created. But you're also the author of several other mystery series. You uh, you write the Victoria Town Mysteries, the Cora Craft Mysteries, and the Cumberland Creek Mysteries. Um, Are there any other books that are coming out soon that we can look forward to? Um, yeah, I also write under the name Maggie Blackburn. Um, and the first book in that series was, uh, little bookshop of murder. And the second book, which is what I'm working on right now is called once upon a seaside murder. And that should be out sometime next year. Well, we'll be looking out for it. Thank you again so much for joining us. Also, before you. you go, where can people keep up with your writing or find you online? Well, on my uh, website, which is mollycoxbryan.com, I have a a sign-up for my newsletter. And my newsletter is much more up-to-date than my website. I really need to um, update that website. But So if you sign up for my newsletter there, uh, um, you'll be informed of a lot of things like specials and and deals that are on my books and what I'm working on, things I'm reading. Uh, recipes and and craft ideas and things like that you'll find in my newsletter um, on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, I have a um, sort of private reading uh, readers group on Facebook. Um, you just have to. It's called Molly Cox Bryan's Readers Circle. Um, so you just have to ask to be um, allowed into it and. Um, I allow you to come in. It's no problem, but it's private and it's a much more intimate look at um, the things that I'm working on, things I'm reading and things like that. Very cool. Thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We really loved your book and it's the perfect cozy for the Christmas season. Thanks so much. Thank you.
Well, that was a, a really lovely chat with Molly. I'm so glad she was able to join us. I can't recommend it enough. Check out Christmas Cowbells. It is a really refreshing, cozy mystery and well worth your time. Now, let's check in with our soothing sounds. I'll kick it off with a new song that's a collaboration from our lockdown season. (laughs) Uh, Two artists came together, and those artists are Jenny Lewis and Serengeti. So Jenny Lewis is a folk artist, and Serengeti is a Chicago rapper. And they basically just kind of did almost like a Postal Service-esque, which I, I say with some amount of awareness that Jenny Lewis was a part of the Postal Service, that, that band, um, where they would record parts of the song. And then, like, I think Jenny would write the song and then send it to Serengeti, who would write his lyrics to it. And so it's this blend of their of their two styles of soothing folk music and rap. And it really comes together quite well. Let's listen to Unblue by Jenny Lewis and Serengeti. Hello. music video <laughs> in the music video there's a snowman well a guy in a snowman costume which i don't know how i feel about that he's a little well, creepy like the, to me i like the balloons bouncing around i want to yeah. watch balloons bounce around a hallway all day long <laughs> it's beautiful this, the song is just really chill and I, yeah. I think it's just a super cozy thing to have on in the background it's it's very relaxing it's just a low-key uh chill song and and very cozy i think yeah it could make me fall asleep but in a good way like I could just fall, drift asleep to a, a dreamy nap. Yes, it's a very dreamy song, so that would be perfectly apt. I love that. Very cool. Julian, what is your soothing sound? Well, I wanted my get my last holiday-esque song in. I think this is airing before the new year. So yes. I have a pick that is about snow, and it's called Listen, the Snow is Falling. So obviously, we don't get any snow here. It's by Erie Wanda, and it's a cover of Yoko Ono from her single in 1969. This cover was released in December 2018, so it's not necessarily timely, but it's relevant to this season. It's interesting because it is a part of a an album from the record label Joyful Noise, and it's a holiday party album, and it was recorded in one hour. So if you want to look up that album, it's other artists with covers or ho- their own holiday songs. Let's listen to Listen, The Snow Is Falling by Erie Wanda. love this song the guitar and drums are so driving and the voice the vocals are so like they're like a sigh and and 
I, I really do love that juxtaposition. It's, it's a great style of this interpretation of the song. Yeah, I never heard of Eerie Wanda before. I love that name, Eerie Wanda. <laughs> I'm not sure that. I want to imagine like she was called that in school and she just, you know, owned it and flipped Leaned it. Leaned into it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a great cover. I mean, I, it's not to knock on Yoko Ono's cover, because that's, that's your, not cover, her original, but Yoko's is more, I'd say, artistic, and this is more of a cozy version. Yeah, I, I've been really getting into, through a lot of the Lennon's collaborations with Yoko, her music again, though, it is, she's a lot better and and more interesting than people give her credit for. But mm-hmm. I think it's because like maybe, I don't know, when I was growing up, the people in my life who like love the Beatles kind of bought into that, like Yoko broke up the band stuff, that nonsense. Okay. And um, as an adult, I can see her as the artist that she is. And I really, mm-hmm. I really do love her as a musician and an artist. She's incredible. Yeah, definitely. I also love the title of the song. I keep wanting to say, listen, the snow is falling. Like, <laughs> you, you, can, you can kind of approach it different ways. Like you can do like the, listen, the snow is falling or listen, the snow, like, like someone won't believe you. You can really lean. It's like, it's like a, it's a litmus test for a line reading. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's funny. Anyway, <laughs> we have a very apt candle to review today. Jillian found the perfect candle to accompany a discussion of a book called Christmas Cowbells. Take it away, Julian. So I really wanted to be cute and get a candle that reflected the cow farm theme. So I found this candle from Milk House Candle Co.'s company, and it's a milk and sugar candle. So that's very appropriate for the cow theme. And the label has a cute little cow on it, and it says Made with Love in Iowa. And the company was started by a husband and wife team, Eric and Janet Sparrow, who hail from the Midwest, and the company was founded in 2002. So for the notes of the candle, it's caramelized sugar and warm milk combined with notes of vanilla and nutmeg. I was very taken in by the caramelized sugar aspect, and I was very curious to see what warm milk would smell like. So (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, there is a dangerous razor-thin line that smells a little bit too much like vanilla but it doesn't cross that line it smells like you have a warm cup of coffee and you put a delicious creamer in and Mm. that that first scent when you pour the creamer in and mix with the coffee and it's a i got the bigger candle for 28 dollars, but you really get bang for your buck it's a huge massive (laughs) candle and the wick is strong big flame and when i woke up this morning the house smelled like creamer and it was lovely. Big flame, huge flame, the biggest flame you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, big flaming. <laughs> so there needs to be more cow. <laughs> Sorry. There needs to be more cow scented candles because telling Matt, I don't want to be crass, but there's a cow pie. And like, I couldn't find any cow farm. No cow pie scented candle or even a cow scented candle. I think, I think we're safe with this milk and sugar candle. I think that's perfectly where we need to be. Okay. Yeah, one wick for me. I I love this candle. It's different and it's theme appropriate. Yes, absolutely. It sounds great. I mean, I I love the smell of cream in my coffee. So yeah, I, also I, I, I the, give it a wick from afar. <laughs> yeah, I well also on the creamer note. If anyone can recommend me some good creamers, because I've shifted from being a psychopath who has black coffee to putting That's creamer not psychopathic. in. <laughs> I. I 
I, I think their black coffee is cozy in and of itself and you don't, you can always have it. There's never, you're never left up a Creek without creamer. <laughs> well, no, that's true. But I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just getting older, but I just can't do it anymore. I can't do the, the full the, on the, the harsh acidity. Yeah, I, I I turned a corner in my mm. life, and um, <laughs> well, so I've been experimenting with creamers, and I got some few fall themed creamers, and so I was leaning into that a bit. But now for the holidays, and I just don't like things that are too sugary, and that's mm. a big issue with creamers. Yeah, I do. I'm basic, so I always do coffee mate. Ninety percent of the time, I drink black coffee, but. Mm. For the weekends, I I go Ooh. wild <laughs> and I put seasonal creamer into my coffee just as a treat. And I usually will go because my my mom is diabetic. Whenever just because in the practice of just having something, and she always drinks creamer in her coffee, so I always have the the no sugar creamer. So maybe that might help. Um, I don't know if you. I, I know coffee mate is like people will be like, oh, coffee mate. It's just so common, but. I like it. I, I I do the no sugar pumpkin spice um, one or the the peppermint mocha. Ooh, so that sounds th- good. Those are my recommendations. I'm sure our listeners have far superior creamer options, and we'll yeah. share them with us in the Facebook group. Yeah, please do. Before we go, we want to shout out our amazing listeners. First of all, the five star review that was added by Garfield is my hero. Garfield is my hero. You're my hero for writing. <laughs> I love this podcast so much. I'm prone to anxiety and who isn't in 2020. And I feel nothing but happiness and coziness when I listen to this podcast. This show had introduced me to a ton of wonderful books, movies, songs, recipes, TV shows, and of course, candles. The hosts make me laugh and I love how much they keep the banter light and happy. Must listen. Thank you for your really generous review. We really appreciate it. Very sweet. And we always, always love a, a review. If you haven't yet, it's the perfect gift for us for this holiday season. If you want to stop by iTunes and leave a five-star review, we'll read it on the show. Yes. And thank you to everyone who's sharing their holiday cheer in the Facebook group, whether it be a recipe or decorations, things, presents that you're making people or gift ideas. It's been really wonderful to keep that Christmas and Hanukkah spirit and other holidays people might celebrate. And yeah, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Yes, we're on Facebook, Instagram at All Things Cozy Podcast. Join us there. We'll keep the cozy train chugging along through the winter. We hope you all have a very happy holiday and we will see you in the new year. Until then, stay stay cozy. cozy.